Well, I wonder what your plans were as a kid or even as a young adult. I had heaps of plans. I'm kind of a bit of a schema. I always had something on the go. Uh, but one plan that stood out for me through my early childhood and even into maybe adolescence was uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. I don't know how many young boys want to be astronauts. I suspect there's quite a few of them. And I loved it. I loved the idea of it. I had this poster uh, up on my bedroom wall. It was sort of a really long and wide poster uh, stuck at the top. And it was this drawing of an astronaut um, floating around in space, surrounded by all the planets. I'm not sure how scientifically accurate it was, but I used to look at that poster and dream of, of being that person one day, of floating around up in space, experiencing it, viewing those planets and those stars for myself in all their glory. I used to read a lot of sci-fi. Uh, and even as I got older, I, I, this dream of mine survived. I remember seeing on the news uh, how one really wealthy millionaire, or probably billionaire, uh, paid the Russians $40 million, I think it was, uh, to be able to get on one of their spaceships and, and experience space. He became one of the first space tourists, I think. And I just thought that was brilliant. I thought, well, I'll just get that $40 million. Maybe it'll only be 20 by the time I need. I want to go up there by the time I've got it. And I'll go up uh, and become an astronaut. But I never got the $40 million together. Uh, if I look in my wallet, I'm about, I don't know, one, one, one hundredth of a, yeah, whatever. I won't try and work that out. I'm not very far towards getting the $40 million together. I never became a test pilot. I never did all the doctorates that might enable you to go up for scientific purposes. That plan hasn't happened and is unlikely to happen. I had lots of plans that actually didn't plan out. I wanted to be a billionaire. I wanted to be a policeman. I wanted to travel the world. And we might laugh at some of these plans as somewhat childish. But what about God's plans? What do we think when God's plans seem to be going pear-shaped? When we look at God's world and we say, this isn't working. Things seem pretty messed up at the moment, don't they? And maybe you're sick of hearing about it. Maybe you're sick of hearing about it in church as well. But things seem so broken at the moment, it's, it's almost surreal. It's hard to wrap our heads around what's actually happening. We can't leave the house. People are losing jobs. Thousands and thousands and thousands are dying worldwide. And what's going on in church life at the moment as well? Why are we having to ask all these big questions about the future of the church? Why are we struggling so much with finances? Why haven't we grown faster? How can it be that we're looking at losing our pastor? How can we even be talking about the possibility of closing down a wonderful church plan, one that's so active and alive and vibrant? How can this be the good plan of God? How can this be what he wanted to have happen? How can we 
try and celebrate Easter at a time like this, when so much in the world doesn't seem to be going according to plan. Well, this story that we titled The Road to Emmaus is actually the story of an incredibly bumpy road in the plan of the gospel. It's a bumpy road that leads to a beautiful gospel plan. Last week, Murray talked a little bit about the, 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 the pattern of how God works in this world, about the downs before there is up. And we're going to see a pretty similar pattern here today in this passage. And the understanding I hope that we leave with is this. Don't be surprised if God's gospel plans often take a bumpy road. Okay? Don't be surprised if God's gospel plans often take a bumpy road. Because there's a pattern of speed bumps in gospel plans in the Bible. A pattern of speed bumps. We're in Easter, aren't we? Easter celebrates the big, big plan of God coming to fruition. It's all coming together on this weekend. That the plan, the covenant, the agreement between God the Father and God the Son to perform a rescue operation of mankind. That's what's coming together this, this weekend. It's a plan that's been, been in operation, been underway since before time began. As far as plans go, this is the biggest one ever. The master plan is unfolding this weekend. And yet, here we meet two of Jesus' followers. And they're not excited. They're not joyful. They're not filled with passion and hope. They're despondent. They're broken. They're returning home from Jerusalem, defeated. They've left Jerusalem as, as quickly as they could. Jesus died on, on Friday night, just before the Sabbath started. And the Sabbath was, was all day Saturday. You, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't leave the city then. And now on Sunday morning, first thing, they've got up and left the city. They don't want to be there anymore. This place just reminds them of death and failure and hopelessness. And home they walk. And Jesus meets them on the way. Something unusual is happening. God is intervening. Uh, he's keeping their eyes, or, or maybe even the word could be translated, seizing their eyes and stopping them from recognizing who Jesus is. And they talk together, not knowing who he is. Jesus says, well, what are you guys talking about? Let me join in. Let me walk with you. And they respond almost incredulously. What? All of Israel has been in Jerusalem this weekend. Are you the only one who's missed this? Have you been under a rock? Jesus, our, our guide, our hope, 
the, the one we followed, our leader, the, that prophet, mighty in, in word and deed, you know, mighty before God and all the people. He was there. And, and the, our rulers, our leaders, they got together and they didn't support him. They didn't follow him. They colluded together to condemn him. And, and to all shock and horror, they put him on a cross and crucified him in front of us. And it's also sudden. We had such hope for him. And we don't understand. We had such plans that they were so exciting. There was so much hope. And now overnight, out of the blue, they're gone. Pulled out from underneath us. How could this be the loving plan of the Father, they're saying. They ask, how could this be good? And Jesus, with soft rebuke, says they're foolish. They haven't understood the way God's plans work. In verse 26, he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? It's necessary, he says. This disaster of Jesus' death was necessary in the plan of the gospel. And we can certainly have these questions today. How can COVID-19 be in the good plans of a loving God? How could our church, this beautiful place that we love and adore and treasure, come to this? You might have personal circumstances in your life and you're asking the same question. How has it come to this? How can God be in this? How can he be with me? And those kinds of questions really echo the thoughts of the disciples. How many of them three days ago would have planned this series of events? How many of them would have elected for this to be the plan of God? Would have chosen to go through such heartbreak would have put their leader through so much pain. They're present in the most exciting time in human history. They're there. That plan of the ages, the, the great covenant of redemption that all the angels have been longing to look into throughout eternity past, that all the prophets leading up to this time, have been pointing towards and hinting at this time that all the Jewish law and tradition has been preparing them for. They're amongst that moment when it's all revealed. And they're not joyful. They're sad. And they're sad because they're blind to the pain. Uh, sorry, blind to the plan 
their struggling human hardware just isn't up to the task of understanding what God is doing. Hope and excitement enough to make your heart race is just around the corner. In fact, present right next to them. They're there standing here, witness to the resurrection. The resurrection is in front of them, and yet they miss it. They're so focused on what they want to have happen that they can't see the glorious plan of God in front of them. Maybe the lesson for us to learn and relearn again and again is that we have to be careful about how tightly we hold on to our plans. We have to be careful about the shape of our plans. We have to be careful lest we miss the bigger plan of God. Imagine with me, if you would, uh, what would have have been like if all the hopes and dreams of the disciples just a few days ago had come true? You know, imagine if Jesus' momentum had have kept going. Remember, he just walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that amazing parade where the, the people turned out praising God, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and they laid their, their garments and their palm leaves down in front of him to walk on in. Imagine if from there he had a walked into the palace and taken control of the local government with the people at his back. He could have kicked out the local rulers, the Romans and the people who they had set in place. Pontius Pilate could have been dealt with. Herod, gone. And all the rest just tossed out of their positions of power. And his momentum could have grown and spread to the other cities of Israel. You know, if God was behind the plan, so much could have happened. The people could have gathered and risen up. They could have regained not just Jerusalem, but the whole country, the whole nation. They, they could have expanded its territory back out to what it had been, even under Solomon. And with this great teacher and prophet at the head of the nation, loving them, leading them, ruling them, it could have been awesome. could have been great. And it's a great dream. But compared to God's dream, God's plan, it's a bit like a secondhand tea bag, isn't it? Have you ever had to reuse a tea bag? Put it in the first time, it's great. You get lots of flavour and colour and warmth. Put it in a second time, you've got to leave it there for about half an hour. And the third time, I'm not sure what you'd even get out of it. Their plan does have some taste and flavour, but compared to God's, it's weak and insipid and it doesn't inspire the heart. There is a pattern of speed bumps in gospel plans. And our second and last point is that because of that pattern of speed bumps, 
there's a call to be warmed, warmed in our hearts by the gospel and not by our hopes for what God might do. Okay, so there's a call to be warmed by the gospel and not our own hopes and plans. In verse 21, there's a word redeem. Uh, you might be very familiar with the, word, with the word redeem, but it can have a couple of different meanings. It can mean to liberate from an oppressive situation. Liberate from an oppressive situation. And it seems like that might have been the disciples' plan. In verse 21, they're saying that's their plan, that he might have redeemed Israel. That Jesus would do what I've just described, walk into the palace, toss out every, all the Romans, create a new nation from them again, liberate these people from an oppressive situation. And as they say this plan to Jesus, as they say to him, you know, we had a plan. <laughs> we had a plan for God and God was going to liberate his people in this way. I can imagine Jesus kind of, you know, slapping his head as he hears this, going, what are you talking about? You had a plan. Because Jesus' plan was to redeem. But he's using the word slightly differently. He's talking about not just liberating one group of people in one time and place. He's talking about buying back, which is the other usage of the word, freeing, paying a ransom, not just for Israel, but for the world. His good news, his gospel was bigger better and more beautiful than their limited minds could ever dream up. And it was bigger and better by far, even though it had a huge speed bump in the way. What does Jesus say the problem is? In verse 25, he says that they're slow of heart this is actually a problem with the heart, not, not the brain. The problem isn't an intellectual problem. When Jesus uses the word heart here, it's talking about the inner commitments, their, their dispositions, their attitudes. He's saying that they've been slow to orient themselves around Jesus, around his teaching, around his heart, and his plans, they've been slow to come around to what Jesus is doing. They've been looking at their plans, their hopes and passions, and excitements about where they see things going. And they're not fully on board with where Jesus is headed. Down this bumpy, painful road that is the gospel. The lesson here is, honestly, pretty hard. The lesson is not to confuse our plans with God's plans. The lesson is to be careful with our labelling of our ideas of the future or the present with the label, the gospel, the plan of God. 
we have to take care not to dream big, pray big, plan big. That part of it's okay so far. But not to do those things and then take our big red rubber stamp with the gospel written over it and stamp it on our plans. Not because God wants to spoil our plans, but because his are always better, even with the bumps. Our hope as a church isn't in the ministries of the hub. It's not in the people up the front, thankfully. It's not in our success in any of our plans. Those plans, those ideas are not the gospel. Our hope is in the resurrected Jesus and his plans. He's not merely some mighty prophet speaking the words of God or some leader of the resistance come to lead an insurrection. He's the one who conquered sin and death. Sins dealt with as he paid the penalty for rebellion and now death of all things. Death is now paid, dealt with as he demonstrates his power over it for all his people. He didn't come to liberate the first century Jews. He came to buy back all the peoples from their sin. And he's going. Believe this. He's going to keep enacting and progressing and forwarding his plans. Because after this, what can stop him? What can stop Jesus? If death couldn't, what could? Could the closure of this small church be the devastating news he wasn't expecting? Could this crazy virus making us all retreat to our homes and have to meet like this be the proverbial snowball rolling down the hill that he just can't stop and missed seeing? Nothing can stop the plans of God under our King Jesus. He is risen and he reigns. He reigns over the church and over the whole world. He stands undefeated in the throne room of God. He leads and empowers the church, never leaving or forsaking us. He stands not in a posture or position of defeat, but in one of victory. And he will have his victory through every single one of us. And you might feel like life is out of control. And honestly, it is out of your control. But it's not out of his. You may feel uncertain and unsure. But if we align our hearts, our attitudes, our dispositions around the gospel, we won't be shaken by a little thing like Corona. We won't be moved by what the year ahead for us as a church might hold. Because we know that this little gathering 
is part of a kingdom. It's part of the broader church. And it's led by the glorious, enthroned in heaven for all eternity king. One day those plans are going to be visible to us in all their beauty and perfection. And when we see them, I think we're going to have a very similar reaction to these two disciples on the road. We're going to turn and run with joy to the rest of God's people in great glorious celebration with one another. I imagine them meeting up with the 11 and the other people who gathered there and sort of jumping around the room together as they both realise at the same day, in the same place, that Jesus is risen and he has not been defeated. We're going to jump around the room, people, when we finally see what God's plans have looked like. And the speed bumps that we have in our road that seem and loom so big and dark ahead of us, they're going to just fade away. And we're going to be astonished, not not that God had them in his plan, but how, how beautifully he used them for his plan. Today we celebrate victory. Victory over death and sin and victory over anything that wants to challenge the great and glorious plans of God. Don't be surprised if God's gospel plans often take a bumpy road. Pray with me. Father, our hardware, this few kilos of brain that you've given us, often, and maybe even rarely, is able to see the glory and the wonder of your plans. <laughs> But we know that our problem, Lord, is not intellectual. We don't need to know what your plans are. We just need to be oriented and seeking after the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and trusting you for the rest. Lord, we thank you that you use speed bumps, horrible things, terrible situations in your eternal gospel plans. We thank you that we're reminded of that again this Easter and we pray that as we, as we face the challenges that the coming weeks and months and the rest of our lives come up with, that you would help us to remember that this is normal. This is how you work. And you are working towards something bigger and better than we could ever understand. Pray this for your glory, Lord, and in great thanks. Amen.